Good afternoon, good evening, good metal. My name's Coop and welcome to the Spoken Metal Show. This is a nice episode we've got today. Uh, this is what I've been trying to get to, to put together. I'm going to go through pretty much and sit down with all, the entire panel from the Liverpool Metal Conference that we did. Uh, and all of which are going to be hugely interesting ones, I think. But the first one, the first guy I managed to kind of sync up and get some time with uh, was Adim Hassan. Uh, Ned Hassan, as people know him as. Um, he was speaking on the on the panel quite fervently about kind of how important the, the scene was and how kind of the many different strands of it as well. And afterwards, we we got into a huge conversation about metal as well. And then after that, we were in the pit for arms. It was ace. So... I had a lot of stuff to talk about. We found we had a mutual uh, love of horror and 80s horror and that type of thing. And, and we loved Metal's crossover into that as well. And we'll talk about that on on the show. And it was just really nice to sit sit down with him. Um, you know, this, in many ways, Ned is kind of like I'm trying to bring a lot of different facets and opinions now. So it's like it's nice to talk to people who are crew and fans and promoters and stuff. And this is when I'm going to bring in people who are studying music. I mean, uh, Ned is a senior lecturer in media, media and cultural studies with a background in popular music studies with a doctorate in, in popular music. So, you know, the, the gentleman's kind of very, very much... You know, knowledgeable about what he's talking about. He's currently writing a book. We'll talk about that as well. But, but amongst anything, or above anything else, he's a huge fan. I think that's what you'll get from this. Is that this might be one of the most enjoyable conversations and sit downs I've had with with anybody. Um, and we could have gone on, and we probably will go on. And we've certainly planned some nice things at the beginning of this year to do. Um, as well off the off the back of this, which is going to be really nice. But we talk about everything. We talked about all the kind of things that put together what he likes, what he likes. We talked about kind of uh, elitism to some degree in, in metal and kind of how fragmented is and and the kind of localization of of of, of a scene as well. It's hugely interesting, and hopefully entertaining as well. I mean, I don't just want it to be a very kind of you know sober look at something. There is moments of that, uh, but there's a lot of mental levity as well where we talk about. Just good, good, good stuff that we've listened to, uh, music that we're into as well, and uh, so and that's just we could, we could talk for ages. I think this one's about an hour and a half long, which is about normally what I try and keep it to. But I we we could have gone on and on. I mean, even after we switched the the, the recording off, we were still talking past then. That's why we realised we've got to do some more bits and pieces together, which we we most definitely do, will or will do, I should say. So also just off the back of the last podcast, which was Kevin McManus. Uh, wow, that put me in a, that's put me in a different sort of area now because now um, I'm speaking up for people as well, speaking up for places and genres and, and, and things that maybe no one is speaking about. And it means that people are asking me questions back now, so they're coming to me for some answers and things like that. Um, and that sounds pretty vague. And what it simply means is people are saying, "What are you doing about this? And did you realise this place was closing? And you know, what do you can you do this and you can do that?" And, and, and in a very positive way, it's brought lots of uh, sort of interesting things my way. Some some comparing work, some bits and pieces like that. Certainly, people want me to speak on certain things, and that's incredibly. I thank you all and all the listeners to the Spoken Metal Show about that. That someone thinks I've got an opinion, and moreover, thinks I've got an opinion of any kind of weight that's and tremendously gratifying for me because i can try and do something with that uh, and start you know helping the scene around me you know if it be going to see a show supporting a band buying merch watching what they do online and supporting that and sharing that type of thing one of the interesting things i found is they were speaking to a friend of mine uh, last week and who said they had no idea that the spoken metal show existed so i've got this really weird situation now where i don't want to throw the 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 podcast down people's throats and have it everywhere 
but I do want people to hear it because I think there's some stuff of value. So, you know, normally I would be like, like, click, subscribe, subscribe and all that bullshit. It, it is bullshit, but sadly, we have to dance with it a little bit to kind of get to where we need to go and, and get this message out to it. So if you are listening to this now and it's been in any way kind of entertaining the last episodes or even this episode, share it with other people and suggest it to them so that they can listen to it. I'm not doing it so I can get a billion likes. I'm doing it because there's people who, who probably would like to hear this and are not getting the chance to hear that so with that in mind let's move let's get on with it um i only try and do these intros as short as i can this is a great sit down and probably the first of uh, a, a lot a, a lot of sort of sit downs with and a lot of sort of things we'll do together and um, with 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 the fantastic uh, net where do we start where do we start? can i call you doctor can i can i call you doctor <laughs> just call me net okay so I, I i would have done a little introduction here where we go through the, the many lists of, of what kind of um, Ned is involved with and responsible for and Ned's one of the, the people I've been trying to get on the show for a while because we, we met and we've been talking ever since the conference and I think there's an enormous amount of stuff that we'd like to talk about um, so yeah but please welcome Nadim Hassan fantastic for you having on the show thank you for having me um, so I, 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 I like to start these we we'll probably shot this backwards and talk about what, what Ned does now, but I think we'll start the way we normally do on these podcasts and I'll go with your first kind of introduction to music as a whole. Where did that come from? Um, well, obviously through parents and so on. I was a 70s kid, so, sure. um, you know, it was me, mum and dad's LPs, Boney M, ABBA, Leo yeah. Sayer, all yeah. that sort of stuff. Um and then I suppose my first forays into taking an interest in rock and metal probably came, I suppose the song that prob- probably started me on the journey would have been something like Michael Jackson's Beat It. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, because that was the first song that I heard that had a riff in it. Right. That I was quite taken with. And sure. it also obviously had a, that very famous Eddie Van Halen solo. Yeah, well, that, that's yeah. one of the other things about... It's interesting you, you mentioned that song because one of the like missed sort of thought things is that Eddie plays the riff and he doesn't. He doesn't know. Uh, Neil, uh, Neil Sean plays that, uh, plays that riff. Mm. Uh, no, is it Neil? Uh, it's, I think it's Steve Lukather. It's Steve Lukather, yeah. The classic Toto. sort of uh, session yeah. guitar, but he plays that riff. And Eddie does the solo. Absolutely. You know? um, but yeah, I think that's, that was a lot of people's like uh, first introductions to rock guitar, if we should say, like, yeah. So I was attracted to that song, and I remember listening to it on my Walkman over and over again. And a I, Walkman, kids, for those listening. Yes. <laughs> it's a tape device, yeah. Yes. yes. Um, I had a lovely little red, I don't know, it was a Sony or a Ferguson, maybe, Walkman. Um, So I was listening to that song over and over again. And then um, the next thing, I suppose, the next milestone really was kind of getting into the likes of the big hard rock bands, the big haired hard rock bands Mm. from sort of around about 1986 into 87. So Europe, Bon Jovi, Motley Crue. Van Halen and then I suppose the one that really kind of I was taken with um, was Whitesnake okay um, I, I saw the video for Still of the Night on Top of the Pops right and I remember thinking wow you know 
uh, for lots of different reasons, yeah, not, yeah, yeah. not just for the music. Is, is, is that is, is still of the night with Tony Kitten? On yeah, the, is that's on, it. Yeah, 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 I yeah. thought so. Yeah. 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 <laughs> so, so, so my, you know, my fourteen-year-old. Yeah, that's going to leave self. Um, <laughs> uh, I think it was fourteen or yeah. maybe thirteen at the time. That that those sorts of things made made mm. an impression on me, and I very quickly got into a lot of that. Mm. Hard rock, yeah, as you yeah. might call it. Yeah. So you were you were going and buying tapes as well. You would go to the yeah. place and you buy. Yeah. yeah. And do you do you remember like kind of when you went from? Uh, did you buy? Uh, it's uh, it's on uh, uh, bad, isn't it, Peter? Uh, no, it's, it's on, on thriller. thriller. Sorry, I always get them, yeah, I always get them too confused. Which is which is insane when you think about it because on thriller doesn't it have uh, Beta thriller. And what's the third song? I think they're in a row, or they're in, like collectively in a row. It's like it's just like something of his masterpiece, isn't it? Billy Jean, I yeah. guess. Yeah. So yeah. was that kind of the first thing you went and bought? You physically went and bought, or did you still get that handed to you or someone else? Did it? I think I had a copy of it actually. Right. Um, I I didn't have it bought for me. Yeah. Um, and then what we did is once once I got into hard rock. When I was in school, my my I'd I'd a couple of friends who were also into it. So we'd ask for usually cassette tape albums. Yeah. They're a little, little bit cheaper. Um, yeah. For birthdays, or we'd save up our pocket money and buy the odd thing. Uh, and so we'd we'd get each other albums right you know and then we'd copy the albums for each other you could do something for, for those unfamiliar with tapes uh, you could get two tapes and you could copy from one tape to the other that was the, it was yeah. the very like sort of beginnings of, of piracy if you will like you know but that was how tape trading was was one of the most sort of uh, ways that new bands got out there you mean very famously uh, Lars York talks about uh, how you know we obviously fought Napster and piracy, but his initial recording with metal on the metal militia, militia collection was a tape trader thing, and he used to tape trade. I've always wanted to sit down and ask him where that dichotomy lies with him. Then you know what what was fair. So what I was kind of leading to is that when you when you consume the music, uh, when when you first went to a record store, how did you? Was it just then word of mouth that you would hear about an artist? Like, so they would say, okay, um, I, you like Motley Crue or Whitesnake, you want to listen to this album as well. Was it just word of mouth or would you go in and would you see artwork? Or was it, because we were talking about the video sort of inclusion, when, when video came, you were like, I really like that video, I like that song, that to me, I don't want to get that album. I think it was a combination of, of, of all of them in right. a way. Um, <clears throat> I think we shouldn't forget that back then, Top of the Pops was an incredibly important program. Well, the chart mattered back and then. The chart mattered, mattered, you know. Yeah, yeah. So, so that, 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 I mean, that year, 86, I think, was, was, was really the year of the big-haired rocker in many respects, yeah, 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 uh, breaking into the charts. So that was hugely important, I think, for giving those sort of harder rock bands a bit of exposure. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, let's not forget that, you know, we, we, we had Iron Maiden on Top of the Pops. We had... Mm. Um, uh, it used later to. You, on, it's it's know. not so much now, obviously, but it used to be a bad, a real badge of honour. Yeah. They, they would go on there, you know, even if they had to mime, which a, a lot of bands did. And I made were very unhappy when they had to to mime on there, mm. and some of them kind of like make jokes about it. But it was because it was that was the real way you could cross over 
that mm. it, you know, if you went on top of the pops, your mum would see that. You know, somebody mm. who has no interest in rock or, or loud guitars or anything like that would see that and would go, oh, okay, you know, maybe I'll I'll look at that. You know, maybe that's something I would consider. I remember seeing Judas Priest on 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 top of the pops. Mm. You know, playing United like you know mm. just did and. That was the first way I think crossover happened. I think during that time because that was a show where, where every form of music was you you could have soft sell and then it was white snake and it was completely fine. Yes. And I don't know if necessarily we have that anymore. I don't think there's there's uh, that much of a platform. Were you? No, it, it it's completely different. Yeah. But, and know. I we talked to uh, to Ned before we were on air about uh, a piece you wrote about kind of. Um, music videos and its kind of integration into into culture and i think that it's interesting when you look at the white snake video you know david coverdale often talks about how much money they plowed into the look of something mm. that you want to, who's the best hairstylist mm. who's the best videographer or whatever you you, you mm. want to want to do it and i think that is i mean there's going to be multiple tangents we'll go off here but mm. is video still as important as it was then or is it less now? And, and Or has it gone completely 360? And I'll tell you where, where I'm coming from with this, mm. is that uh, initially that video was, was all important, you know, a great video. We think of the thriller video, mm. you know, the extended one, it was premiered, all that type mm. of thing, directed by, you know, John Landis, famous people involved. And then you get to kind of the Wayneishan type of stuff with Metallica and stuff like that, really high you know, production values. And then we go all the way round to some of the like the rap videos that have come up and you know, This Is America and stuff like that. They were all they're all important videos. Mm. Is it still a medium, the video? Is it still Of course it's still a medium. Um and in the YouTube era it's what what maybe come circle yeah it's 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 what they they call call killer content, isn't it? You know, it's perfect for YouTube. Mm. So it's still important, but it's important in a very different way now. I think that um, back then, um, with the rise of MTV mm. um, and magazine-style shows like Headbangers Ball on MTV Europe as well as in, in the States, um, and also I, I remember a show called it was initially called the Power Hour, and then it was called Raw Power. Raw Power, and then Noisy on, Mothers. On I, and then Noisy yeah. Mothers on yeah, ITV. Yeah. It was a late night show. It, um, I think it was broadcast about three or four in the morning, actually. Mm. But for metalheads and pe- people into hard rock, what I think people have to realise is there were, there were actually quite limited media mm. for us to engage with. Yeah, yeah. And so... That was a show that I would religiously tape record, mm. video record, and watch. And again, to, because it wasn't, it was one of those places where you could get exposed to new music. Mm. Um, the other place being obviously magazines. Uh, I used to, I used to buy buy Raw magazine yeah. actually. Uh, that was the one I had a subscription to for several years. Um, I've always been a magazine reader. I still am. I still buy the metal magazines, actually. Mm. I know not everyone does. Um, and then it was radio with, um, with Tommy Vance Tommy and Vance so on, the Friday yeah, Rock yeah. Show. But of, of those three, I, I would say, for me personally, it was, it was, raw, it was the power hour, mm. raw power, and, um, and the magazines 
that were that were really important for me in in yeah. in, in in actually exposing me to new sure. music. Do you think that that because it was so difficult to get hold of these things, and you you had to actually put the work into discover new music mm. and. Uh, do you think that created a value to it that if you like you know, like say noisy mothers has maybe i don't know a guest interview and maybe i don't know six seven bands playing the videos mm. maybe ten mm. uh but you would watch all of those videos yes. completely and yes. you would watch them all the way through whereas now someone watching on youtube wouldn't watch the whole program would mm. maybe skip through it you know i don't like this after a couple of bars okay I'm next to you. do you think that did that maybe devalue the wood or now does devalue some of the music because it was so hard to get hold of when you were first ingesting it and now it's so easy do you think that maybe that's devalued it slightly it's a very good question it it, it certainly changed the meanings mm. i think um it it gives it gives on the one hand it gives you a freedom to mm explore and go down what some of my students refer to as you know youtube wormholes yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, where you can you you know at, at the touch of button um you know or, or tap of a keyboard you can immerse yourself in a world where you can explore a variety of subgenres and similar artists and so on and so forth so in that sense it's, it's very freeing um and kind of quite liberating but I suppose the difference between that and what we're talking about with, uh, say, something like the Power Hour, Raw Power, was that you had a very finite range. Mm. You, you know, so it was, it was sort of subject to gatekeeping processes that yeah. that you can be your own gatekeeper on YouTube to an extent anyway mm -hmm. and you can you can kind of explore lo lots of things mm -hmm. um, but I think for probably for a lot of people from my generation what it meant was because there wasn't that much of it there if you found something that you loved you could you would watch it over and over again mm. because there wasn't much else out right. there really you know you couldn't yeah. you couldn't sort of go oh there's um there's dio's video for um you know um oh what's it called um holy diver or Manus well or those sorts of favorite. those sorts of track but the yeah. one that i used to love was off the dream evil album um i could have been a dreamer yeah. so you know there's there's i could have been a dreamer that video which i i was always quite taken with actually yeah. uh maybe because dio was about my height <laughs> i don't know but <laughs> but, <Sure. laughs> but 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 there was <laughs> but there was you know i i i, I was quite taken with that video oh, but nice. but you could you couldn't then say oh dio let's go to google and find out mm. more you know it was either okay i'm going to go to the record shop and take a punt on buying this album mm. which we did yeah. between myself yeah. and my mates or nothing you know it, mm. it, it was you couldn't sort of type into spotify dio and then get oh here's a thousand similar artists, yeah, you know. Yeah. So, so the ones that you liked, 
you developed a really strong mm. connection with. Isn't there, isn't there a, a psychological study that, that, that says that um, the, the formative years of, of your brain and that type of thing, and when you're sort of teenagers mm. to mid, uh, you know, sort of mid adulthood is the is that's when you're forming your choices about everything about which mm. which drinks you like which food you like but which music you like as well mm. and after that it kind of tails off it doesn't increase up there's a lot of thought process that that's when that happens that when you're talking about around 15 and 16 mm. 17 type of thing is you develop these things with these bands that lock onto formative years as well they contain memories they contain you know mm. things that would, would have empowered you i think one of the things that gets leveled quite a lot at um at the, at the internet, if you will, and Spotify and YouTube, is that there's, a, there's an element of algorithmic displacement to it. And what I mean by that is mm. that as much as it is, here's the best metal songs this week, it's still a, it's still a closed room, if you know what I mean. It's still not, it's, there's, there's still bands that are not, are not going to get into that room at all. And you're going to miss this whole swathe of, of, of underground and local music that you're not going to see because mm. that algorithm was placed and based upon what people liked and clicked and stuff. So it's, it's almost an echo chamber, if you will, mm. of, of its own music. Mm. Um, and that gets leveled to it a lot. So when you, when you were first sort of listening to music, when did you go to a live show then? Where did that go from listening to, to actually going to a live show? Um, so it would have been uh, the the first gig I went to. Uh, uh, yeah, pretty much the first gig I went to was Bon Jovi's New Jersey tour. Okay, and we that was eighty eight. So that's um, a huge tour. That that's, that's yeah. a real world tour. That yeah. that was a real world tour. Uh, I've still got the scarf at home. Sure, um, and that was eighty yeah. eight. And uh, my friend's dad took us. Me and my friend Mark went. Uh, to Birmingham NEC um, and my friend's dad got a ticket as well um, and we were I guess we were what 15 mm-hmm. uh, and um, it was magnificent you know Dan, yeah. Dan Reed Network supported them um, they came out with the full stage show with yeah, John yeah. launching himself from underneath the stage sure uh, it, it, full pyromania, uh, pyro, pyro yeah. pyrotechnics. It it was it was incredible. That must have just you know. just come as a like a, a life changing moment seeing yeah. that going from seeing because the video to you know to, to all these songs you give a love a bad name and type of things. These are all epic lights everywhere. Daily Roth crazy light show, mm. but to see that. Yeah, to see and then and have everybody around you get that contact high of the yeah. lights going down and that type of yeah, thing. Yeah. That must have come as quite a revelatory experience. I mean, what? most people's first shows are in a pub or in a, yeah, a small yeah. venue. That's that's a pretty big, yeah. you know. So the, the, did you come away with your head spinning then? Did you from that? That's pretty uh, life changing, yeah. right? I just think we. I just think we thought, wow, this is so cool. <laughs> yeah, you yeah. know, it's just like yeah, it's powerful. It's yeah. spectacular. Um, it's energizing. It's got this great sense of community. Everyone mm. stood up and and, and it's very positive. singing in unison. Yes, yes. It's, obviously, Bon Jovi is very kind of anthemic. It's yes, very feel it was made good, for arenas, yeah. feel good music. So it's yeah. very, very works very well in arenas. Sure. Did yeah. your appetite then just become voracious then when you when you hear that you went, well, I've got to get everything by these guys? And did you find yourself buying more? Was it like almost like a an indoctrinate into kind of okay, I need to need to listen to more music. Did you find that? I mean, to an extent. I mean, obviously, let's not forget we were teenagers in the eighties, so we didn't have a shed load of money. Yeah, there was so, an awful lot of money. Then, so yeah. it was still fairly modest, you know. We're just buying bits and bobs when we can, exchanging stuff when we can. 
um, and and getting a, I used to have a paper round, so I used to I used to get a magazine, um, and find out about new stuff. Uh, partly from Raw magazine, they had the little um, seven inch vinyl things put them on the front front, yeah Yeah. so uh, you know there was an Ozzy Osbourne track on there and things like that so I remember that that Ozzy album No Rest for the Wicked sure uh, that came out in 88 so I kind of got turned on to that Um, and then gradually I got turned on to to some of the the heavier stuff Mm. that I'd seen um, particularly on the Power Hour so I went from I went from being a real kind of slightly glammy kind of sleaze rock person who liked Guns N' Roses and Rat and Poison, um, Def Leppard, Motley Crue, Whitesnake, the list goes on. From And I still love that stuff. But then to, to sort of slightly discovering the heavier side of things, Metallica, Megadeth, Slayer... Uh, in particular, being quite taken with Slayer, and I right. think that that was probably partly because of my enduring love of horror movies ah, and horror yeah. fiction. Well, it's it's interesting that you bring this up now because one yeah. of the things that we I was talking about again before we came on is Ned sent me a few pieces that he'd wrote, and I thought they were incredibly interesting. One of them was about the Lost Boys and and about trick or treats and movies if you haven't seen which uh, very much on an 80s metal kind of background certainly within the soundtrack Aussies in trick or treats you know yeah. it's, uh, it, they were kind of all there because there is that um, whole culture thing I think metal is one of those things where it, it almost is, is unique to it where it has these things where if you're into metal there's a, a really good chance you're into horror movies as well mm. it's weird you know, there's mm. a really good chance you're into certain things and so you must have been, this is like sort of the 80s, so like the 86, 87, 88, 9, mm. where there's like the absolute explosion of, of horror movies yes. as well and, 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 and high-octane action movies as well, yes. you know. And you would have seen, did you know, did, were you aware that the metal was under fire at this point, like as well, under stuff? Were you aware of that at that age? I had an awareness of it. Um, it was far less pronounced here than it was in the US. Mm. I had an awareness of it because there were certain kids at school who would kind of mock you for being into metal. Yeah. And I think partly that was... Uh, metal has a reputation anyway, I think, that mm. stems years back into the... Even into the 60s when Sabbath were around. Yeah. That, 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 that you know, the press don't, didn't particularly like metal. The, the yeah, mainstream yeah. press, the mainstream media didn't particularly like metal mm. uh, they, they, they felt that it perhaps wasn't authentic enough in a way to sort of mm. fit with their their sort of their idea of what rock music should be it became the the the, 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 the whipping boy of, of, of a lot of social problems didn't it you know there was the, the two lads that could that, that attempted suicide and Judas Priest get roll, rolled in you know yes. and this goes all the way up to Columbine and, and that type of thing where Marilyn mm. Manson gets paraded out as being you know one of the, it's 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 kind of been I think less so now I mean when there's when there's things like shootings and stuff, certainly in America, uh, metal does get touched every now and again mm. as being one of the one of the reasons that, that causes a problem. But you were like maybe not as a, I mean we we didn't have the internet that back mm. then, so it was difficult to find out some of these things about like you know the PMRC and typical launching all these mm. campaigns of of like you know I mean we're at, we're of the age where we can remember that they having to put the label on a, on a record yes. parental advisory, and and it was interesting that when he did stuff like that. 
it became a reason to buy that album, not yeah. uh, not a, not. A, so it had a completely opposite effect, and metal Absolutely. has often been that where because it's it's demonised uh, and mystified almost to a certain mm-hmm. degree, um, uh, and not covered by the mainstream, it, it it becomes a gravitational point for 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 lost sort of youth and people looking for something like that. Mm-hmm. But then horror movies would I would say would would also be, and mm-hmm. I think that's why they are quite close bedfellows. Mm-hmm. So then you see Slayer. And that's got to be another moment when you're like, whoa, okay, hold on. They're, they're not pretty. Mm. I, I think Kerry would, wouldn't mind me saying he's not a, he's not a pretty, pretty man or wasn't yeah. then. You know, I think there was no illusions. They were talking about, you go from talking about, you know, uh, I Love You, You Love Me to, to Dead Skin Mask yes. and, 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 and An Angel of Death. These are yes. paradigm shifts in kind of what you, you're listening to. Was it slow or was it pretty quick for you? Did you kind of move over to that sort of side of it quickly or oh yeah it was it was fairly quick i mm. mean um by sort of 89 90 I, I left school in 89 went to sixth form in 90 by the time i was in sixth form you know i had tons of copies of you know slayer um mega death i loved peace cells amazing album mm. P- uh, so so far so good so what amazing album Metallica. Um, yeah, we're we're kind of master of puppets. We're just before the, uh, the black album. Yeah, yeah. The, the one that got me and my friends was Injustice for All. Sure. Uh, with one and the one video, I think that yeah. you know the fact that they had a video and then ninety nine, I think ninety uh, or maybe eighty nine or ninety Slayers seasons in the abyss. Sure. Uh, and of course they had the Seasons in the Abyss video hmm. uh, as well so that you know I think that was the first video that's, that was of Slayers that was kind of official video that was played on yeah with a, with, a, with a production value with a production value yeah S- uh, Sepultura uh, in, a, in a self uh, I, I, I uh, I've just written a piece for getting to this we might come on to this later sure. and, and I state in that piece that I think in a self is still Easily in the top five greatest fresh metal songs of all time. Yeah. Um, well, you interviewed you Max, did you not? Yes, um, I did. Yeah, yes, yeah. yeah. And I, I, I found that incredibly interesting because he's, and we're getting a lot of these journeymen mm. sort of metal from people like Heffield and Mustaine and stuff, and, and, and Cavalier is a good example of that, who were were around for the, for the boom for the 80s the big four and that type of thing mm. and the thrash metal and the new wave of British heavy metal and all that whole thing right up to the the implications of Napster and the internet and then beyond you know kind of yes. leaving Sepultura and Cavalier Conspiracy and that type mm. of thing moving forward to that and they give really interesting perspectives on it because for me I think Sepultura was definitely the, the one of the first bands which they were um we're talking about political things, but political things where I could connect to political yes. things that were going on within their individual cities. You know, yes. they're from Brazil and Sao Paulo, where there was you know problems with poverty in the favelas and things like that. And they, they were the first people where I was like, okay, this is it isn't abstract concepts they're dealing with. Mm. You know, angel of death is an abstract concept. I have, I can't really obviously there's no benchmark for me to to, to understand that as uh, when I first did it. But Sepultura, I think, yeah, and I certainly think that. From a thrash point of view, um, they're very much close to that big four. They have to be, they promised the, the forgotten people that kind of just after kind of yes. took that in, in play. And in itself, yeah, I, I would say, do you, how did you feel about kind of when they st- did things like Roots and, and that type of thing? Did you think that, uh, did you think that that was kind of 
an, an, an interesting sort of progression for them or do you think they were, they were moving away after inner self and schizophrenia and all that type of thing no I mean I, I thought it was an interesting progression I, I, I of course I think everyone was really impressed by, by Roots and, yeah. and Chaos AD mm. um you know why not? Because it was an, a, 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 a it was taking thrash metal in a slightly yeah. it was it was a new direction for thrash metal mm. in a way, and and it, it, you know bringing in different forms of instrumentation and so on. I thought I thought it was yeah. really really powerful actually. It, and th- that might have yeah. been the, the height of that kind of crossover power because mm. you know when they were doing that with, um, there was a new metal around and rap metal stuff. So we'll get mm. into that in, in in a little bit, but yeah, I think. Uh, just for those that don't know, and obviously I almost covered it in the intro, but um, but Ned also writes for forgetting to this and writes quite a, a, I think you have a really interesting perspective, and I'll tell you where it where it comes from. Uh, where I think it comes from is that you can approach something as a fan, yeah, very clearly. You know, you you're a fan a fan of the music. What was funny as a sidebar to this when we when we first met at the Liverpool conference, it was all very kind of. Um, highbrow conversations about the intellectual sort of ramifications about metal and stuff but then me and Ned were in the in the pit for arms and I thought that was just beautiful <laughs> that we were talking very highbrow so yeah, but at the other day we were just shoving everybody around and I thought that was great yeah. but yeah so is that you can approach it as a fan clearly which you are but also remove yourself enough to, to see the social side of things and uh, one of the things that, that, that Ned looks at is the cultural and social implications of, of music and yeah. um, so when we're kind of now 89, 90 and we're moving forward um, are you going to more shows did you find you, you went to more live shows did you find you go to more local live shows more, more, more to the point yeah I started going to gigs at the Royal Court okay um not as many as I should have done, really, mm. looking back. But, you know, again, given our real strong uh, fandom for hard rock and, and mm. uh, bands, you know, I went to see uh, Cinderella. Sure. Uh, that was my first gig at the Royal Court. That was on their um, Heartbreak Station tour. So I think it was around ninety. Mm-hmm. Uh, Slaughter supported them. It was it was it was the day after um, the guitarist from Def Leppard had died. Yeah. Uh, is it Steve Clark? Steve Clark. Um, yeah, yeah. And and I remember Mark Slaughter dedicated one of their songs to Steve Clark. Mm. Uh, it was it was probably one of for a number of years one of my favourite ever gigs. Yeah, Cinderella yeah. were absolutely the height of the powers. At the height yeah. of their powers yeah. and the Liverpool audience absolutely. The Royal loved Court, them. what a venue! We don't we don't we miss it now. I talked to Kevin about this. Yeah. Uh, uh, we really miss it. We didn't know what we had so because it was on the tour cycle for every band. They had that yes. thing of the Brixton Academy. Yeah. It had that kind of ethereal reverence, if you will, like yeah. of, a, of a very special place. And when you look at the list of places that people have played there, Pantera played there, yeah. you know, it's, uh, the, you know, Nirvana, all these great acts played there. It's, it's such a shame we lost that. And they're doing great work there now, but I'd really like to see that back to being, to being the, you know, the, the venue it was. So when you went to the shows, did you, when did you start to experience the pit? And when did you experience, because we would have still been in the time when you could stage dive as well, yeah. you know, when did you experience that? I didn't really, because I, I mean... I mean <laughs> Maybe I, not personally. Yeah, yeah. I, 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 I saw, I saw it, but, you know, it, it wasn't, it wasn't particularly frenetic for some of the bands I, I mm. saw, you know, I saw the Choir Boys, I saw the Black Crows, I saw Extreme, 
Uh, none of those bands were what you yeah, would Yeah, they wouldn't elicit that reaction. They, they, wouldn't, they wouldn't elicit the sort, yeah, yeah, yeah. Of, the sort of reaction that, that, that we might expect from a metal gig, yeah, yeah. per se. And that's because I think there were more, more hard rock gigs. Mm. Um, but, you know, so, and, and me being five foot nothing, uh, I kind of have <laughs> tended to avoid... It's <laughs> uh, uh, really uh, over my uh, time of going going to gigs. Um, so no, the ones in Liverpool I went to were pretty tame. Mm. The one that I remember the most from those years, um, and a kind of real epiphany moment in in terms of the power of metal, was going to see the Clash of the Titans at um, wow. Birmingham NEC. Yeah, it's a big show. Uh, that was. Um, suicidal Tendencies mm-hmm. Testament Megadeth and Slayer yeah. Megadeth were at the height of their powers they had Easily, released yeah. um, I forget the name of the album the one with Holy Wars on it um, um, Hangar 18 hang, uh, and Hangar 18's on it I yeah. can't remember the album title um, Rust in Peace Rust in Peace, yeah, yeah, Rust in Peace is the album Slayer had um, released um, Seasons in the Abyss. Mm-hmm. Suicidal Tendencies... I'm thinking of um, pra- uh, t- Testament's Practice What You Preach would probably have been out there. Practice What You Preach and, and yeah. um, suicidal Soul, Souls of Black. Yeah, did Suicidal st- still have Rob in, in the band then as well? Suicidal Tendencies, and they still had Rob... Did you in, in that at the time as well? I think so. I think yeah. The, the, yeah. This, this the point I'm making is that there was this is four acts that really were at the best they'd they were, ever. They been. were they were at the best. I mean, yeah. Megadeth had Marty Friedman on guitar, mm. um, and I remember being absolutely blown away. Yeah. I mean, the the cues for the t-shirts alone yeah, were like yeah. a scrum, mm. um, and 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 just the the sort of this pilgrimage. To Birmingham, and once again, yeah. down to thanks to parents, my dad had dropped <laughs> us off. Sure. And there were there were four of us. We went we went there. Had a full day in Bur- at Birmingham NEC watching these these amazing. Because it was like all day, wasn't it? It was like yeah, a, it was like a, it, every each band was given a, a relatively long amount of time. It wasn't right. like it wasn't like a Megadeth and three supports. It wasn't like no. that. It was yeah, they were each given like a long amount of time. Weren't so they? it was it was absolutely that was kind of like the birth of. Of kind of what became sort of things like the Ozfest mm. and and the one day and a two day festivals where they would do that like you know mm. hire a building out for the entire day and let's just do that yeah. you know um, I think it's interesting what you say about about um, the, about merch and stuff as well because arguably arguably here uh, metal was the first kind of real genre of music to really really embrace um, merch and t shirts yes. and stuff and it became a huge part of, of what the driving force you know a lot of times when a band tours now merch is a very very strong part of, of, mm. of the touring schedule aside from the tickets you know it's Absolutely. Just, aside from that now did you kind of like did you kind of have a whole bunch of t-shirts then did you, were you, were you yes. that guy same yes. same yeah, yeah and, just... and sadly I threw them a lot of them away or yeah. they got thrown away so a lot of those really classic t-shirts I'd love to mm. to, to have back uh, have gone actually, but um, yeah, I had, I had because you, you do see them now. They, they they do turn up on eBay for yes. ridiculous prices, and people seem to copy them as well. While we're talking about that, what's your thoughts on? Because uh, this this kind of leans back to what we're talking about 
the social side of things mm. about the appropriation of, of of metal logos into the mainstream so kim kardashian as, as we said uh, i've said on previous podcasts wearing a slayer t-shirt mm. or an exit or kanye west or uh kevin art wearing an exodus t-shirt mm. how do you feel about that you know the, you know the, the, that's someone you see in the mm. day high to the powers you would have bought that t-shirt and now mm. we're you know however many years it is ahead now mm. and someone famous who maybe has never even heard one of their songs is now wearing that t-shirt mm. where, do, where do you feel about that what do you feel about that i have mixed views if i can give you time to, to, mm. to formulate an answer with that because mm. it's a difficult one my contention is that I, there's nothing we can do about it it's going to happen mm. anyway but it, it, I, my thinking is if some one person looks at that and then listens to the album and then gets it and maybe gets into that we've kind of won we've kind of mm. backdoored that into them you know mm. i don't think that happens an awful lot but i think there'll be some people who go what's this slayer band i'll go and listen to it and it mm. may just fire that receptors off and go actually i quite like this and we've won one from them mm. over to us if you will um i don't know how do you feel about that um well what I think we need to remember about merch is that the reason why merch was so important to metal bands is because they got no radio airplay. Mm. So in the 70s and even into the 80s, certainly in the 70s, bands relied on touring and bands relied on merch sales because they weren't getting radio airplay to promote their product. Mm. Um, so merch has always been really historically important to metal from a financial reason, it's probably even more important now that the album yeah. sales have pretty much disappeared. Mm. So it's intrinsically tied to the subculture. And it is something that has very strong meanings for subculture members. So I've, I've interviewed people for my research, which I'll, we'll come on to talk about, um, and they've talked to me about how they will wear other bands' merch to try and cross-promote mm. people, other bands within their scene. Yeah. So it, I, I think merch has a very, very strong affiliation to metal as a sub subculture. Mm -hmm. So on that level, it is very much removed from what's happening on the high street. Sure. Uh, and that the fact that we can buy... I don't know, a, Ram a Ramones t-shirt sure, from, from Sports Direct. Yeah. Or, yeah, yeah. You know, I, I, th I see those things as very much removed. Mm. Having said that, does it particularly bother me, concern me, if I, if I, if I see somebody wearing a, a, a Guns N' Roses t-shirt or a, a Slayer t-shirt or a Motley Crue t-shirt or whatever, and, and, and actually they... they, they um, like you, like you said, may not know anything about the music, mm. may not, may not have that s sort of affiliation, that strong emotional attachment to the subculture. They may be wearing the t-shirt for very different reasons. Mm. But let's face it, people wear t-shirts for very different reasons yeah. anyway, don't yeah, they? Yeah, you know, even definitely. within the metal subculture. Yeah. Uh, that the, there's probably some ironic t-shirt wearing there that is. goes on. You know, yeah, yeah, yeah. so I think that. It doesn't offend me, but I think what people need to understand is that it comes from a very different place. So even though they are both uh, products of consumer capitalism, 
you know, the bands ultimately trying to make money. Yeah. They, they, the people have very different attachments to those commodities. Hmm. Uh, and they, the, the wearing of those commodities has very different significance. Yeah, the, the, the inference of, of what you're doing is, is sometimes coming from different places. Mm. And I think that's, that's incredibly fascinating. Is that I think it works on, on a number of levels. That you know, If you see someone wearing a T-shirt of your favourite band, almost it, it answers questions for you before you talk to that person. Mm. You know, they will have similar mindsets, similar religious and political beliefs mm. because of what they wear. You know, and there's, there's that element. Is that maybe then when kind of around that time when, when, when merch became so prevalent mm. that, that those groups formed, groups of, of people mm. collectively. You had like groups of uh, people who were called goths and group yeah. of, that's all grouped together because yeah. they all wore the same uniform, you know, which metal's not going to like it, but the truth mm. of the matter is it was, mm. you know, mm. it was badges of honour. Mm. Um, and it, and, and we'll, we'll jump straight into kind of your, your studies and the research mm. you've been doing, which I find it is incredibly fascinating mm. to me. So you're currently doing, uh, you're writing at the moment uh, about what exactly? Okay, so I'm, I'm currently um, engaged in a book project, which is called Metal on Merseyside, mm-hmm. um, which looks at the sort of hidden history of metal music in the city of Liverpool and surrounding areas. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it, to explain where it comes from, it's probably, probably the best thing to do is to sort of tell you about what it motivated me to start the project. Sure. So this was back in sort of maybe around about 2008, 2009 I have been an academic for quite a number of years now um, and at the time I was working at the University of Liverpool on a part-time basis teaching popular music studies and I was reading uh, Paul Denoyer's book Liverpool Wondrous Place which is a sort of history of Liverpool and there's a there's a bit in that um, book where he, he sort of he says it's striking that Liverpool has never had a metal band of any consequence and I thought that's a very curious statement yeah, yeah, yeah. And, a I, and I and I kind of thought well that doesn't sit well with me. Sure. Um, for a number of reasons. One, because even though I wasn't a huge fan of, at the time, ex- more extreme forms of metal, like death metal and so on, mm. I knew enough to know that there were several bands who'd yeah. come out of Liverpool that were very influential in those yeah. scenes. And secondly, and probably more importantly in a way, I had met people, students of mine, who were massive metalheads and who were in bands. And I just thought, well, there's a, this is interesting because Liverpool is being positioned within the histories, within the written histories, which we sometimes term historiography, mm. um, as a city that is not a metal city. 
Sure. Right? That it's a, it's a city that's produced lots, been, been very famous for lots of other reasons. Obviously, Mersey beat, but even sort of dance music with yeah. cream and, yeah. uh, and so on. So I thought, well, I want to try and investigate this potentially or supposedly hidden yeah. aspect further. Mm. And I, at the time I was meeting musicians who were in bands, as I say, and I, I met um, a guy called Joe Mortimer, who is or was in, in a band, a death metal band, brutal death metal band from Liverpool called New Roma. Um, and I was chatting to him about some of this stuff. And he gave me a kind of education sure. in death metal. Right, right. Um, and before you knew it, I, I was listening to death and carcass and uh, obituary and cannibal corpse and all the rest of it. So that was going on. But in the back of my mind, even though I was right in the middle of teaching, I was just, I'd just finished up my own PhD research, which was on something entirely different. Um, and I, I had in the back of my mind, I thought, this is a book project. Right. Because no one is talking about this. No one is talking about Liverpool mm. as having a, a, a music scene, and, and a, a metal music scene. And in the build-up to 2008, European Capital of Culture Year mm -hmm. for Liverpool, it was very clear that there were certain narratives being sure. being constructed about the city mm. as a, as a music city. It was being and positioned in a certain way. Yeah. Absolutely, yeah. and and yeah. those narratives were around, uh, as some of my colleagues at the Institute of Popular Music have written about. Those narratives were around things like Mersey Beat. They focused on Eric's yeah. and the whole post punk thing. Mm -hmm. They focused on. Uh, dance music, electronic dance music, other genres, not just metal, but other genres were, were sort of being hidden uh, or at least marginalised. Mm. So that's why I decided that I wanted to investigate this and I was really keen to try and understand how metal musicians, promoters, and other people who were part of the scene, how they felt about producing music, engaging with music in a city and a region that sort of didn't seem to acknowledge its existence. Right. I think it's an extremely fair thing to say. Yeah. Um, and that was, that was the starting point, really. Right. Um, so since then, I I in I, I sort of let it let it sit for a while that 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 idea, and then in two thousand and thirteen, um, I got a full time job here, and once I bedded in at Liverpool John Moores, I um, then approached the university and I said I've got this project idea, and I got ethical approval to do it. I approached some of my contacts who, who, who'd since left university, people yeah. like Joe Mortimer, and said, I'd like to talk to you about some of this. I'd like to interview, and, and, and it went from there. So, mm. it, so I, I then immersed myself in the scene, mm. um, going to gigs, 
far more actively um, and just talking to people mm. about their understandings of the contemporary Merseyside live predominantly live metal music scene but also the music scene in general sure. the metal music scene yeah, in sure. general so that's that's where the project that's came a, that's from. a massive project that's a massive yeah. thing that's a massive one to take and very much to approach it as well in that kind of almost gonzo hunter s thompson involve yourself in the yeah. music thing is very admirable you know yeah. and i think that that's uh, did you did you think that going into that you had one thought process yeah. um, <clears throat> Has there been quite a number of epiphanies since then, since now you've gone to these things? Like, you know, have you kind of realised that maybe it's much worse than you thought, it's better than you thought, mm-hmm. it's nothing what you thought at all? Have, mm-hmm. you, have you found this challenge, some of your, your viewpoints about, about the, the scene in general before and after? I mean, obviously, I don't want <clears throat> to spoil the Yeah, we the, don't want to give away the, 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 the end of the, end of the uh, show, yeah. Uh, but, yeah. That, that um, you know, that will end up in, in mm. the book I'm writing too much. But I, I think that um, one of the things that, as I reflect on my journey in, the, in this research, which I've been doing since 2015 now, mm. um, is that I think I was in quite an interesting position. I had a kind of both insider and slightly outsider yeah, perspective. Yeah. Mm. So on the one hand... I've lived in Merseyside for a, a number of years, actually since 1984. Um, and I had been a, a, a fan of metal music and heavy rock music for a long time. So that gave me the insiders thing. Hmm. The outsider thing came from the fact that even though I'd lived very close to, to Liverpool, I actually didn't know the scene that well. Right. Um, for various reasons. One, I was living outside of the city in St. Helens. Um, so in some respects, I was closer to Manchester to get to gigs right. and, yeah, and, yeah. and so on. Um, and two, the people I was speaking to and the people who I had contacts with were making music that I didn't know an awful lot about. Right. So the worlds of brutal death metal, slam death metal, sure. the more sort of extreme ends of the genre, mm. I was learning a bit more about. Right. So I was, I had a suitable enough outsider's perspective to be able to learn and reflect as I go along. And that's why, where I think that that kind of objective... Yeah, that objectivity of, of being able to look at something and go, okay, well, I can remove myself enough to make an honest assessment of things. Yes. You know, that, that, is it, was there a case of, well, as whenever you see it in a Hollywood movie and someone goes, let's say undercover, for the, yeah. for mm-hmm. want yeah. of a better word, yeah. into a thing, they always come away with something, they have a tattoo or a yeah. haircut or whatever it may yeah. be. Did you find that in, in investigating this music and death and, and the real extreme sort of black metal and stuff of the, of the underground side, of, did you find yourself coming away now where you go, actually, I, I really like this now? Yeah. Did, <clears throat> did you find that, okay, that once you kind of sat in the pool of it, you kind of came away still wet from it, you know? To an extent. I mean, uh, it, the work I'm doing is what we describe as ethnographic work, which right, okay. so it's, it's, it's where you're trying to get an insider's perspective on something. Mm. So you, you, you know, you, 
ethnography is based predominantly around this notion of participant observation. So you go, you immerse yourself, you go to the gig, you're there, you're, you're, you know, you're near the pit, even if you're not maybe central to sure. it. Um, you're experiencing those things. Mm. Um, so in that sense, it's changed me mm. um, as it would have to change you. Yeah. Um, it changed my tastes a little bit for sure. certain things. There were certain things that I, I, I thought, no, I quite like this. You yeah, know, yeah, give yeah. me more of this sure. sort of stuff. There is an addictive quality, I think, mm. to something like slam death metal in particular because while you may not necessarily want to listen to it all the time on record at a live event that groove it's an intense from the type riff, different animal yeah, yeah it's a very different animal and it's it's like it's almost a bit hypnotic i right. think where you find yourself kind of having to obey <laughs> sure. the power yeah, yeah, of yeah. some of those riffs, yeah. you know. Um, so there's, there is a sort of slightly addictive thing there mm. where, you you know, I didn't expect that really right. because I didn't expect to be drawn to that. Mm. On the other hand, there are still some parts of that subgenre that I'm slightly more uncomfortable with. I think mm. the, 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 the use of some quite brutal misogynist imagery mm. um, can leaves, leaves me a little bit unsettled mm. at times. Yeah. Um, but there are lots of um, oxymorons almost sure, sure. in that in that when, in when, that when ever, any kind yeah. of anything is approaches it extreme yeah be it a horror movie or yeah. a piece of music you find that um, because it's sailing very close to something yeah. um, it's it can be sometimes it can completely fall off the edge I mean we talked about Slayer and singing about Angel of Death and, yeah. and, and, and Nazi death camps and things yeah. like that that's all but they're, what they're singing about is based upon fact it's 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 put forward the same way as almost like a historical document but then there's some stuff that's done purely for shock value cannibal yes. corpse will, will yeah. release an, a, a titles to songs to purely shock to be part of that and that can sometimes be difficult because it deals with things of, of rape and like you say misogynistic attitudes mm. because they're almost playing with that to, to, to elicit a response yes. um, and i think that in the same way i believe about comedy and art in general is that the best stuff often comes at that point before it goes over the edge. Yeah. Um, I don't know if there's any music that maybe to a certain degree rap that fundamentally has that problem where it mm. almost can, can fall into parody. Yes. You know, uh, of itself, you know, black metal is, is and, and corpse paint is endlessly mm. memed and endlessly mm. uh, pointed and prodded at for being a comedic thing. But originally, in the time of like mayhem and stuff like that, they were talking about Nazi and, 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 and fascist sort, sort of outlooks in, in their music and kind of, and, and, and I think that that's, one of the more difficult things for anybody to, 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 to take on board, mm. you know, what is the context of this music being presented? Is it being presented from a misogynist point of view mm. or is it being presented to, to, to make you to actually yes. generate an opinion, you know, yeah, yeah, uh, to yeah. come up with a, a, an ideal or whatever you believe. Make, metal has very always been about kind of what is your opinion, make your stand for that opinion, you must speak mm. up, whatever that may mm. be. And freedom of speech is where I'm leading to here. Mm. Freedom of speech 
is often kind of I find that metal often comes up with that. Uh, certainly rap as well as mm. having, having a little bit of that brush getting tired of it now with the you must be allowed to speak and sing and, and play mm. whatever you want. It's all in the context of the, the context being if it's meant to offend, then it's not really good art. It's not you know, but there's a fine line and I think that you probably have experienced that then when you mm. when you see that is that line where do where do I stand on this? Do I stand mm. on this side or, or that side? But I think that's a doesn't that add weight to to, 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 to the validity of, of something as a piece of art if it, it challenges, you know? Yeah, I, I think there is that. And I, th- I think that... Um, I think that when you're doing these sorts of, of projects, you have to be able to reflect and try and understand it from the mm. artist's perspective or the perspective of other fans, and uh, as well as being critical. Um, and when I say being critical I don't mean just criticising but I mean just being asking questions analytically looking at looking at it and and, and kind of okay so so what is this exactly you know because even though I'm suggesting that some of these gigs there were you know merch there where there was you know some quite graphic depictions Mm. of rape and so on um there were very mixed audiences, mm. audiences who were really into it and f- having a really good time. Mm. You know, it wasn't like um, this was full of white blokes, you know what I mean? It was something was a, different a, a, was going on. a dichotomy on. of yeah, people. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. Because yeah, yeah. that's the, one of the things that, did, that, that metal constantly gets brought up is that it's, it gets misappropriated mm. by the far right and yeah. fascist regimes and stuff. And punk had that as well yeah. when it was kind of used. Um, and we, we seem to be, though, we're, we're amongst metal, we seem to be pretty quick to get on that, though, where we're like, no, 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 no. Yeah. It's not about that. I, uh, I, I read something interesting a couple of days ago where some guy was saying um, was defending metal especially a show a live show mm-hmm. was saying the rule for the pit is if someone goes down you pick them up he goes mm-hmm. I apply that rule to my life mm-hmm. and I thought that that's a really nice way that yes a pit and a mosh pit it seems like an incredibly dangerous place but it was always from the point of view that people and if I may I may go as far to say as well when there was kind of um instances of, 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 of sexual violence and physical violence to, to, to women within a metal show. The metal was one of the first sort of genres where the singers and members of the band would call those people out, would mm. say, hold on, that's not appropriate. Yeah. That's not the way we do. Certainly, you know, the likes of Fugazi brought together, brought in uh, all ages gigs, yes. alcohol free, straight yes. edge. That came from all about punk, but then metal adopted that as well. You know, mm. metal was seen as being the, you know, um, this sort of drink them all type of thing, like mm. attitude, but it then quickly moved to like things where it became a really safe place for, for a show mm. as well, you mm. know? So uh, what I'm leading to here is where did you kind of find that? But then also with things like the Sophie Lancaster thing, mm. where it became a really positive thing to talk about something that was deeply horrific mm. and, and hate crimes within our society, but then metal was like, we'll come together for this, you know, and we'll kind of use this as a platform mm. so we can talk about this. The metal now has almost became a really, uh, not safe space, but a place where it was free discourse and free mm. exchange of ideas. Did you find that then? Did you find it becoming... And in tra- when you were in a show and some of these extreme shows, did you find that? We talk about dichotomy of people. Mm. Was there a dichotomy of ideals and ideas as well? I mean, it's difficult, isn't it? Because the shows are so loud. <laughs> you, can't really, <laughs> you can't really talk. You can't shout. Yeah, you can't yeah. talk to many people. And also, 
given the nature of the research, I kept a low profile for quite a while because right. I, I just wanted to check it out. I, I didn't yeah, want to observe from afar. Yeah, affairs. I didn't want to. I didn't want to sort of be asking people questions because that's not. Yeah. That's not really what this is. What this is about. I was just observing mm. stuff, and 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 what what I got a sense of. Um, at some of these shows, it's almost like a kind of catharsis. Mm. That 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 what's going on is, you've got really really loud distorted music. Um, people pushing at the boundaries of extremity at times. Mm. But then, in amongst that, you've got people who are incredibly kind to each other, friendly, that they know each other, that this is a chance to get together and be uh, with other people who, yeah. who, who are like-minded. Yeah. It's a very communal atmosphere, incredibly relaxed very welcoming mm. so any of the kind of um surface features where you think oh oh this is interesting that i'm not yeah. sure i'm entirely comfortable with this mm. have to be contrasted yeah. with yeah with those so there's some really interesting yeah. di dichotomies really that, yeah. that 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 um there's a wonderful history yeah. of of um one of the, the famous videos because uh, it's come from a famous movie is Nace Ventura mm. he goes to see someone at a cannibal corpse show yeah. who's his kind of like cue if you will he provides him weapons and what have you and mm. gadgetry and um he, he's at the show and it's kind of a club show he's talking to someone who's just flailing hair wildly with millen and he's like and then he goes and he does that all in the background and then there's some outtakes of of, of jim carrey actually getting on stage but what i'm leading to is that that was i think it's in washington dc i think where where, where, where that was filmed or florida it might be florida but anyway the the point was that in washington for example there's a massive example of all these people that were by day would, would work within the government and would kind of deal with like, you know, the, 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 the everyday business of, of running the country. And then at night would use that time to slam into each other and scream and shout and be crazy as a thumb of catharsis yeah. was like, you know, just as a release, as a great release. And then the next day put the tie on and, and, and go to work, you yes. know. And I think that that's, the, that, that's a, a, something that for someone from the outside, and I'm talking complete outsider, mm probably misses about that probably doesn't, yes. doesn't doesn't get but there's an ugly secret in the room that we need to talk about and it came up at the conference that we we talked about as well was this we we raised the question of is there an elitism within the mm. groups of metal mm. is that self-defeating is there a cannibalistic quality to it mm. it's maybe not so incestuous as we thought when it, it, it did, did basically there's fractured groups that are detrimental mm. to metal did you find that did you find an elitism uh, amongst that Certainly, the perspective of some people I've right. interviewed. Yes. Okay. Um, again, without going into too many details, at the, at the you know, and naming names, mm. but um, there is a perspective that there are there are differences, and 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 as I said at the at the panel discussion uh, last month or the month before last, um, what I think we've got with um, metal in in this area is probably several overlapping mm. communities, if you like, um, that don't always come together. So you've got people who 
are really into maybe the club scene and and don't necessarily go to live gigs but they would have gone to the crazy house or uh maybe had a drink in 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 the swan um you may not necessarily see them at gigs and then you've got um people who may maybe are just kind of really big death metal people and or, or maybe even just big within brutal and slam death uh, and they may even be slightly sniffy or snooty uh, to people who are, are really into sort of more technical mm. death metal, you know, mm. uh, with clean singing. You know, clean singing is something that is frowned upon among it, it's some, among it's, certain, in some ways. It's, it's the def- definition of that particular genre. It does have clean yes. singing? It yes. applies to this. If, yeah. it, if it has growling, it applies to this. If it's screaming yeah. or a, a, it's symphonic, it, it, it almost becomes a, a, a way of defining that genre. Yeah. You know? And <clears> you don't find it in any other music. You don't find it if, if someone in pop is, uh, you know, you, you don't really. The, the differentiation in the voice doesn't doesn't constitute what genre it is. Metal is almost almost totally unique with that. It's mm. almost even goes as far to like the grooves and if there's mm. solos and if there's mm. breakdowns, it becomes a, a whole genre. And it kind of seems to be like almost a law of diminishing returns in that respect. And so much to, if you if you're constantly examining a, a piece of music to to fit it into a box, that can't be good. That can't be a you know positive thing. Some would some would some would mm. say. But certainly, I think we both can agree that there is. Unfortunately, there is an elitism. It's not maybe as prevalent as 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 as, it, as some people think is, but it is there. And I think it is it is affecting the, the scene. It, it's not helping it. Yeah, I mean, it, it. I suppose it really um, depends on how you look at the health of the scene. Mm. Um, if you can think about that as as being something related to uh, a geographical area, mm. um, you know, the Mer- the Merseys. I think we even within that. Mm. We have to be careful because there are, you know, you've got the city centre, you've got um, the outskirts uh, around Merseyside, St Helens, Wirral, North and South Liverpool. I think um, it's sometimes it would be inaccurate to suggest that elitism is prevalent throughout the whole scene. I think it certainly rears its head in certain respects at certain mm. times, but then at this, on the other side of things, sometimes it can be bypassed. And I think that depends on the way in which potentially certain promoters book shows, or it can be bypassed at, at certain events where you get actually a lot of people coming together. So something like the Bloodstock Metal, Metal to the Masses final, for instance, sure. where it brings a lot of people together. It's a kind of melting pot almost. Multiple styles. Multiple styles and, and, and so on. And, and I think actually when you go to those gigs, there's no, I, I can't see, I haven't seen any tensions. I haven't seen any, I mean, no. I haven't seen any kind of, Elitism raising its head in, yeah. ter- in terms of certain groups not talking to other groups. Um, so I, I, I think that we, we, we are in danger of overestimating the degree of elitism mm. within, say, a geographical area like 
Merseyside. If we think about the broader scene, sort of in terms of metal in the UK and, and, mm. and or maybe even internationally, it is true, obviously, that some people have very strong affiliations to particular subgenres. Sure. You know, they, they just do, you know. Yeah. Um, black metal being a very good example, I think, mm. of, of, of that. Um, I, th- I think with, yeah. with elitism, for me, I think where it, metal comes off well is when, it, when we need to come together, mm. we do. We do. When yeah. there's a metal to the masses and there's four different styles of bands on and we need to support and I think the place is full yeah. and it's great. And I think that that's where it, we, we put our, our boundaries aside. When it matters mm. most, I think the elitism can put it put back in its box. Mm. It only tends to come out when there's a negative thing, when the, when, when we, we, we talk about why, why aren't people going to shows, why aren't promoters mm. booking it. I think that's when it kind of sometimes comes out of its box as almost a scapegoat for kind yeah. of why there's a, there's a problem there. But I think it was interesting what you were talking about, the, uh, about like locations and stuff. Does, in the history of music, from the blues to rap mm. to country to, to what we're, where we're talking about metal now, is, does the geography of a place still matter now to the formation of its musical style? That's a huge question, and you could probably do a whole chapter on that, but does it, does it still play a pivotal role in the, in the development? So, for example, uh, from a metal point of view, you have Birmingham. Yeah. And you have Birmingham, you know, breeds uh, Priest uh, uh, and, and Sabbath because of its uh, poor climate and economic troubles that it has. Um, you get the same things in, 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 in Manchester, you get London, you get like Glasgow and stuff like that breeds this kind of thing that, that kind of almost supports metal. Because now all the stuff that we're kind of taking in mm. and it's almost like boundless now where we can get wherever we want, does the geography of a place still affect the music it produces anymore? Yes. In, yeah. in 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 a, in a, in a, to put it that's bluntly, a short chapter yeah, I'll yeah, that chapter for yeah, uh, no, <laughs> it it does still make a difference yeah, to elaborate on that I I think one of the one of the concepts that I quite like to understand this sort of stuff because this stuff's complicated is to think about it as as an ecology so if you think about a particular city. You've got to think about it, you know, if you, if you understand the notion of ecology as being about, okay, an environment and how it's nurtured. So then think about, okay, what's the ecology of music venues like? What's the proportion of large to medium to small? What about transport links? How easy is it, is it to get to that city? What are the rehearsal studio, uh, opportunities like mm. for bands? What are the gathering spaces for people who are like-minded, who, who want to pursue or an, an interest in a particular genre or subgenre? All of those things matter. And one of the things that I am doing in the, in the book that I'm writing is to recognise that the ecology in relation to the growth and development of metal and hard rock music in Liverpool. Arguably, we could say that it shifted. So, if we go back to the 1970s, really, which is where, late 60s, early 1970s, where some of this started. So, the venues, the key venues there would have been like... um, 
the cavern because once the once Mersey Beat was over with, we then got bands being booked. You know, people like Thin Lizzy played the Cavern, mm. Judas Priest played the Cavern. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Very early incarnations of those bands. They weren't what you would describe as. They were still formed and they were lips. still became yeah, the, the, yeah. the things but, they were, yeah. But, but so there's that. The big one in Liverpool being the Liverpool Stadium, the, the old Liverpool Boxing Stadium. Yeah. Black Sabbath played there, Zeppelin played there. Uh, all the big rock acts of that day in the mm. sort of. Um, 19, mid 1970s period uh, were there then and then you had pubs that supported uh, those scenes so um, something like the Moonstone which became Milo's mm. um, in the 80s where you could get up and coming pub bands being formed mm. people chatting to each other in the queue uh, outside Liverpool Boxing Stadium mm. and making affiliations so sure. going into the 1980s that shifts so the Liverpool Stadium's gone by then um, the Moonstone is still around, it's Milo's but it slightly, it, it becomes less important, it's part, it was in St John's Precinct so it, it, it eventually gets knocked down I think to make way for something like Woolworths or something like that I think so, yeah. um, and um, so things start to shift so the gigs, Milo still had gigs until about 88 but then the gigs that Milo's had shift to the crazy house Sure. So the crazy, well, it wasn't called the crazy house then, it was Sloan's. Sloan's, Sloan's. Yeah. So, so Sloan's on Wood Street, mm. um, that area on Wood Street being quite an important area actually mm. For, mm. For, for, for rockers. Because um, the Swan, you've got your biker's pub, that's been around for a long time. Yeah. But then there were other little venues on Wood Street and, and the crazy house as it became being a really important one of them. Mm. And you had, of course, the Royal Court, which we mentioned earlier, yeah, yeah. being hugely that, important. A heritage site, if you will, that kind of musical, like the rainbow with the Absolutely. whiskey, these big names, it was one yeah, of those names. It was one of those names. Mm. Gathering spaces are also important. We shouldn't neglect the fact, non-music gathering spaces, so Quiggins Shopping Centre, sure. which we talked about at the panel discussion. Yes, yes. The reason why people from our scene and our subculture were so keen on keeping Quiggins going is because it became a sort of meeting point for people who were interested in mm. alt music, yeah. whatever. So that's goths, that's skaters, that's sure. metalheads. Yeah. Gathering spaces like that are important. Mm. Likewise, in, in the um, early part of the 2000s, as well as Quiggins, you have the area outside the law courts. Yes, yeah, yeah you know, definitely. Where people again gather. Now, that is, I think, really important. Mm. What's happened since the mid-2000s is we've had a splintering of that. So the gathering places have kind of gone. They right. moved to the internet in many ways and absolutely. chat rooms and forums absolutely. on the internet. Yeah. Because the physical gathering places, kids got moved on mm. as the you know, as the redevelopment occurred and um, 
gentrification yes. in the city. So the area around the law courts uh, was done away with for, for connect, uh, connected to those reasons. And also Quiggins went to make way for uh, Liverpool One mm. shopping centre. So those spaces have been lost. Now, at the recent panel discussion, um, my editor at Get Into This, Peter, was talking about the fact that does that really matter, uh, or does it really? He didn't say. He didn't say it didn't matter that we didn't is have gathering spaces, factor, but yeah. but what it, I think what he was saying is there's a now there's an ecology of venues that's actually quite diverse. Yes. So we've had. Metal gigs on at Invisible Wind Factory. Mm-hmm. We've had metal gigs on in, uh, obviously, in, 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 in sort of all the places. The Arts Club. The Arts Club. Uh, yeah, EB, Phase One, Jacaranda. EBGBS. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, a whole range of, 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 of small and actually some what we might term large venues yeah. as well. And then, obviously, from now, every now and again, someone like Kiss or... Slipknot or Iron Maiden might come to the Echo Arena as, mm. or the M&S Bank yeah. Arena as it's now called. But what I wonder about that ecology, that current ecology, given that it's quite scattered, um, is I wonder whether what's missing from the ecology is those spaces for people to gather mm. Because if you, it, okay, it, you know, we, we know there's quite a lot of venues in Liverpool. Live music is huge in Liverpool. I think 44% of the, the city's output, according to one report, is, is just around live music. It's, mm. it's a hugely important part of the city. But for metal in particular, is the issue that that seems to be soft, such a shifting ecology venues come and go mm. so often yes. so even when I started the research it was bumper yeah you would have still had maybe the Lomax it was the Lomax yeah. it was Maguire's Pizza Bar I'm sure yeah it was the Crazy House mm. it was the Magnet to a, to a point yes if you look at them venues now, well, Lomax is gone. The Magnet's gone. Bumper's gone as a venue, music venue. Maguire's went from a period where have to change kind of stuff changed, to the outpost. You know, yeah. and, and I think, fair play to Outpost, they've kind of continued the vibe more yeah, or less. Yeah, yeah, you know, very they, much so. They're, they're, so that, that, that's fair play to them. Crazy House really now don't look as if they're going to do anything since they've been rebranded as Electric Warehouse. Mm-hmm. They don't look as if they're about to enter into mm-hmm. providing opportunities for, for gigs. I mm-hmm. could be wrong there, but that doesn't is, seem is, to is the issue with, and I think it's, it, it's fascinating when we talk about ecology, and I yeah. couldn't agree more, is, it, is one of the problems is that that ecology is now diversifying and changing mm-hmm. at such a pace that people can't properly assess the ecology or the ecological environment it's in, if it's, some things are moving too. I think the, the decay, if you will, the crazy yeah. house, certainly was a victim of maybe not changing soon enough to adapt to, to what audiences wanted mm-hmm. and what people wanted. And maybe certainly you could argue that with other places. Um, where quick enough is that that ecology is changing so much and diversifying into all different sorts of ways and mediums of doing things. Is 
we metal maybe certainly as a musical force in 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 the city kind of struggled to keep up with it and we were kind of became a little bit of the old man shouting at the sky type of thing mm. you know there's there's maybe an element of that i think but i think what's interesting and and we'll, I, I, we'll get we'll, i'll try and wrap things up because we could go on for a while we now could, yes. we, could, <laughs> we probably will yeah. but is that um i think as much as that is a, a negativity i think the fact that we have these conversations are now taking place and people are now talking about this now is, is, a, is a fundamentally positive thing now and it's certainly yourself writing uh, writing a book about that will mm. bring that understanding of the ecology to kind of sort of get it some people put their arms around it mm. so how how far away are we from the, the, this book being completed then are we oh, uh, quite away away because um, it's a massive topic a fair now. away away yeah. unfortunately for different circumstances yeah. um but you know, um, I will keep you posted, and sure. I, I'd be very happy to you know come back on when it when, yeah, it, when yeah, it's yeah, sort should, of nearer, yeah. or, or even you know when, yeah, when, yeah, it get, yeah. when it gets launched and published. Um, but you know, the the aim is to get everything written by the end of twenty twenty. Right. So um, it's not too far in the horizon, yeah, yeah, yeah. you know. Um, and in the meantime. As long as they'll have me, I'll be carrying on my sure. my get into this stuff. Because, like, yeah, any um, kind of book or any kind yeah. of documentation of, of of events is it's like a law book. The minute it's released, it's out of date. Yeah, it's yeah. the same thing with a, with a book about metal. And, yeah. and the, the minute it's released, yeah. it's like, well, you've missed this genre of metal, and this new laser rap reggae yeah. metal's come out. You haven't covered. You know, it's the, there's yeah. always going to be that something that's out of date. But I think. Yeah, I think I would definitely suggest reading uh, Peter's work on getting to this. I found some really interesting and insightful pieces on that as well. And I'm looking forward to the book. I know we're, we're a while off, but as these things are, it'll be tomorrow before we know it. Mm. And I think, um, you know, we'll definitely get you on again to talk about sort, sort of bits and pieces. We could do whole shows about specific things. Mm. But it's been really nice. I, it was exactly what I thought it would be, both informative and interesting and, and, to a, and, a, and a different slant on what maybe sometimes I talk about, you know, where it's like, oh, just get to a show. It's like, okay. I think talking about the ecology of an area uh, and its scene is is incredibly interesting to me, and I think we could definitely lean into that. But mm. for the time being, uh, Ned's been exactly what I thought. It'd be hugely <laughs> enjoyable for me. I hope you've enjoyed it. Yes. Um, talking about metal for an hour or so. That's not. Thank not you very much. Yeah, it does. Uh, it does. Uh, it's quite nice to <laughs> escape escape from marking season at the moment. <laughs> sure. <laughs> so we're going to go away, listen to Cinderella's uh, entire back catalogue now, and then we'll, we'll throw some deal in there as well but yeah thanks again mate. thanks no very problem. much for yeah. that, thank you so there you go that was uh that was ned uh dr ned let's say dr ned that sounds cooler interesting i thought i thought certainly brought us some interesting sorts of things and it was interesting his journey into into music and his look of view of the city as well i thought that was fascinating um that's going to be i mean we're going to go and do many many more things i think together and there's certainly some plans been hatched after we we came off off mic if you will and so that's going to be hugely interesting. And now I can start saying things like what I'm going to say now. With the next show, I'm going to have the fantastic um, Matt Bonnell from uh, Revenge of the Riff. He, ho- he hosts that, that event. And that's going to be great because Matt approached me, which was really nice. I love that when that happens where he was like, you know, I, I do this show and I want to talk about it. I want to talk about what I feel about the scene and stuff like that. I want to promote my own show. And I was like, you are exactly the person I want to speak to and exactly the person I think people want to hear from. So that's going to be the next show. That's going to be Matt Bonnell. I hope you enjoyed this one. This was with Ned and I'm, I'm going to do some more with Ned. I, a lot of people have asked me to speak to him now and I'm sure after this there'll be, there'll be even more questions and it was great. It's a nice little sit down. Once again, like I say, if you can sort of get this word out there whenever you can, just suggest it to someone. Hey, have you heard this podcast? 
listen to this Coops podcast. You may hate it, you may love it, but I think there's a lot of people out there that might get something from it. I hope you do. In the meantime, though, I'll see you at the show.